0: Good evening and welcome to the Locked On Winnipeg Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Harrison Lee, an avid Winnipeg Jets fan and an online blogger. You can follow me on Twitter at HLivingLoco and follow our podcast Twitter at LO underscore Winnipeg Jets. As always, be sure to follow and subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform of choice, including Apple, Spotify, Google, and the Megaphone app. Subscribing is free and keeps you up to date on the latest and greatest in Winnipeg Jets news and analysis. On tonight's episode, we're going to be taking a look back at some of Winnipeg's greatest games, some of which you will, in fact, know because I've probably talked about them on the podcast multiple times in past uh, episodes and whatnot, some of them because I have very personal, fond memories. A couple of these games are going to be very interesting, I think, for folks who kind of want to take a little bit of a nostalgia trip, at least for a couple of seasons ago. Uh, Obviously, I think that there are some that are, are going to be more important than others, and I think the first one that I kind of want to focus on I would say is probably the first playoff game that the Jets played at home when they were taking on the Anaheim Ducks in the wild card. So obviously the wild card series was um, a bit tough for Jets fans because here we were finally making the playoffs in a season in which it kind of felt like the Jets had something going. It was a little bit hard to get a full sense of what this team was because I think at the time a lot of us weren't really hip to you know advanced statistical analysis and so a lot of what the jets did and what they had on their roster were guys who were actually by some members of the analytics community beloved i think a lot of people talked about lad little wheeler being a a closet first line not just in scoring rates but also in their ability to to drive play really up and down the ice you had lad who was a surprisingly physical forechecker kind of i would say in the mold of of a Sidney Crosby type of player who, you know, obviously they're not the same player at all, but I, I want to say that Ladd has that same forechecking and grind, grinding ability in the corners. But, you know, what Crosby did with that was actually make use of it. Ladd obviously doesn't quite have that same tool set in the sense that, you know, Crosby has some of the world's best hand-eye coordination. He has an IQ that is uh, almost unprecedented for a player of his type. And really just of of any player... Uh, other than guys like McDavid or or some of the greats like Lemieux and Gretzky. Ladd, though, was somebody who, with his forechecking presence and stuff, could create space and score off of it because he was very hard-nosed, he had a pretty decent shot, and he had the ability to find gaps in defensive coverages and grind along the walls. When you paired that with Blake Wheeler, who was really a dominant power forward in his prime and one of the best quiet play-driving wingers in the NHL, especially during those seasons— you had a very lethal combo. Brian Little back then was still pretty productive too. And because Ladd and Wheeler created so much space and you know t- tore apart so many defensive structures, Little was able to profit pretty frequently. And that line as a whole was very good at matching up against opposing top lines. You had two potentially top line wings. I think Wheeler was probably most of the, the play-driving ability, but uh, Ladd's forechecking ability was certainly pronounced, and I think the, that he had a, like an innate uh, physicality. You know, that's something that that, uh, Sidney Crosby has always kind of had under the radar, but is a major part of his game, kind of like Ovechkin in some ways. Both of those guys are not afraid to use their bodies and their big frames to get into gaps and spaces and attack it. Lad was certainly not as prolific in this respect, but he definitely had some of those similar attributes, and that was one thing that made him very successful when he was paired with guys who were play drivers and finishers. Honestly, I'd have to look back at what the rest of the lines were. Like, I remember, you know, obviously we had Pro having a very good season. Then we brought in guys like Lee Stepniak. I think there was Jay Harrison on the defense, but Harrison was actually not that great. This was back in the days when we thought that Ben Sherratt uh, was endi- you know, going to end up being like a really good top four defenseman. But what we later discovered was that Dustin Bufflin kind of did a lot of the uh, the play driving on that pairing. That first game, though, I, I just remember is, there was so much hype because everyone was talking about Anaheim versus Winnipeg. You know, Anaheim is, is a hard-nosed, hard tackle, very gritty, very physical, but also, you know, quietly underrated and skill department team. They had a very well-balanced roster. They had pretty decent top-six scoring. I wouldn't say, like, tremendous scoring, but they did have a very frustrating and annoying team, and Winnipeg actually played them pretty evenly. What kind of killed the Jets in that series ultimately ended up being their goaltending, which, again, not a huge surprise. Andre Pavlik posted, like, three consecutive regulation shutouts leading into the playoffs, and I think that was basically all three wishes from the genie bottle. Beyond that, I mean, the Jets just kind of got a little bit unlucky and really couldn't get a save that they needed when they needed it. Game one, all the same, was an incredibly memorable experience. I mean, the fans were just incredibly raucous. The whole place was lit up in in all of the... uh, glorious whiteout splendor, Winnipeg fans were loud, proud, and then Stempniak opened the scoring, and things just went absolutely crazy. And it kind of felt like, I don't know, maybe this was going to be a special year for the Jets. It already had been because Winnipeg really didn't have a team that most people pointed to as being a high-end playoff contender. The Jets kind of had to work all the way up until the end of the season to squeak in, and even then it was still as a wild card. But I think when you talk about wild cards... That name means something in particular for the Jets. They were sort of an unknown quantity because people who had been tracking them were thinking, you know, maybe they have this sort of industrious, gritty style, but they have some very underrated scoring talent and play-driving ability. Maybe they can make something happen. You know, I think Dustin Bufflin, when he was younger, really epitomized that sort of style of being very powerful, very physical, but also immensely skilled. Again, something that I think guys like Crosby, Ovechkin, you know, Jamie Benn in their primes, I think all of those guys have those traits. And people don't think about it in that respect, but the Jets shared some of those same characteristics. Again, nowhere near on the talent level necessarily, you know, except for like a guy like Wheeler probably. But I think that they had those same um, characteristics and styles of being very productive, not because of their grit, But in addition to it, it was something that was part of their character, but also a useful tool in their skill set. They could draw on physical play to match with their very good skill sets and become an underrated, dangerous team. Sure, games 1 through 4 of that playoff series were pretty heartbreaking because Winnipeg would often have a lead and then unfortunately squander it. And I think that game 1 was obviously just a teaser of things to come, but... All that said, I feel like that was still one of the greatest games in Jets history because it was the first time that we all thought Winnipeg might be something, that we could believe in the Jets being more than just sort of a uh, blue-collar, hard-working hockey team from a city that really wanted to get excited about its primary sports team and feel that that old Jets magic that used to exist in the barn back in the the 80s and 90s. Man, talking about the uh, the good old days of 2014-15, all five years ago of it, got me feeling a little bit hungry and you know what you know what uh is a really good thing to do right about now is is actually ordering in and you're not just ordering in but using the postmates app if you've never used postmates and you're looking for something like a a quick delivery meal then check them out you've probably been thinking about dinner since lunch because that's what we all do during quarantine right with quarantine, deliveries gotten a lot more popular, and Postmates has made it easier than ever to make sure you get the safest, fastest, and best delivery meals possible from your local neighborhood eats. Postmates offers nice, safe, and easy contactless delivery, so your food will be waiting for you without ever having to leave the house. If you want to support your local restaurants, you can also order through Postmates Pickup. If you need a bit more than just pizza, sushi, burgers, fries, and more... Postmates will also deliver supplies from stores like Walgreens and 7-Eleven, dropping it off at your door. Head on over to the App Store on your platform of choice, including Apple and Android, and download the Postmates app. Right now, Locked On listeners can enjoy $100 of free delivery credit for your first seven days when you start your Postmates account. To start your free deliveries, download the app and use code ON. Again, that's code ON for $100 of free delivery credit for your first seven days when you download the Postmates app. Anything you need, anytime you need it, Postmate it. In thinking of really important games, I think back to a couple of years ago when Patrick Laine first arrived to the NHL. Laine had something of a bit of a, a big reputation as having a very quiet personality, but there was something confident about him. He was a savvy kid who understood what his limits were, but he was also I don't know, a little bit cavalier, a little bit suave, but not in the way that most people usually feel you know, our, our overconfidence taking over or or arrogance taking over. Lineage seemed to be very at ease with where he was, he knew what he needed to work on, and he was confident in his ability to score goals, which I don't think anyone really questioned. Most concerns are about, you know, is his skating going to be better? Is he going to be an effective playmaker? You know, how is his game going to translate from Liga to the NHL? Because... Let's be honest, I think Liga was probably a little bit easy for him, even as a teenager, which is kind of funny. You know, most teenagers in men's professional leagues do have issues, but Lyon was a huge kid. He had a towering, booming shot, and he just had this immense presence and ability to take over games. And then the first game that he played for the the Jets was, I think, against Carolina. I think that was uh, the home opener, was it? And, you know, he did score a goal. And I think Winnipeg actually won that one in like overtime or something. I can't really remember, but it was a fun introduction because it was like a, I think a slap shot on the power play, if I recall correctly. Everyone was like, "Yep, there it is. That's the goal scoring ability." But you know, I think that was towards the end of the game, and and I think the game that came not too long after that was really what I would consider one of Winnipeg's most important games because, for me, that was like the birth of the the Patrick Liney era, which I think for this team going forward is going to be a very special thing. And that, that game came against the Toronto Maple Leafs. If you know what game I'm talking about, you have this one etched in your memory because it was a truly tremendous, incredible night. I think uh, Matthews was in that game, but I can't remember if he had like a hat trick or something. Either way, Winnipeg was down like 4-1 or something by by period number three, if I recall correctly. It's it's a little hazy, but the Jets were really struggling. And then they started the comeback trail, but, of course, Patrick Laine was the one blazing it. And then Winnipeg tied it to take it into overtime. And the overtime situation was Winnipeg was buzzing. It was just an end-to-end back-and-forth sequence. Matthews was amazing. Nylander was great. But here comes Patrick Laine. You know, after Michael Hutchinson, I think it was, made a couple of great saves, uh, Laine ends up coming around, and I think he had a two-on-one or something. And just blisters a shot home, and it was his third goal of the night, a game-winning hat trick in one of his first games for the Jets. I don't think that there was a Jets fan in the world who didn't feel that that moment was something truly extraordinary and special. Obviously, NHL debut hat tricks or early career NHL hat tricks, you think, yeah, that's pretty cool, right? But coming against a team that took uh, a player right before you in the NHL draft, and not only a player, but the first overall pick in Austin Matthews, and then essentially silencing their fans in overtime, kind of a uh, a really magical, uh, incredible script that you can't author. And that was just really a teaser of things to come for Laine. Obviously, he does have certain issues defensively, and he certainly did that season. But I think, you know, we can all agree and admit that that was just something really cool and a moment that is not likely to be repeated ever again. When Line a scores hat tricks, he likes to win it in regulation. That's generally his uh, his uh I guess his MO, especially because he does a lot of that against the Dallas Stars. And when Dallas surrenders a hat trick to Line, a, they usually don't win. I don't think they've ever actually won when that's happened. I've singled that game out though just because I consider it kind of the birth of the Patrick Line a era. I-, I think that even though he'd played a several, you know, a couple of games and had some goals and stuff before then I feel like that hat trick against Toronto was his coming out party. This was him saying, here's what I'm capable of. Here's what you have to look forward to for many years to come. I have a fantastic ceiling and an ability to go further, shoot faster, shoot harder, and skate more than what you've seen from me. And really, I think this past season has absolutely shown that the sky is the limit for this kid. The more work he puts in, the more he improves, the more I truly believe Line a is one of the best players this team has ever drafted, and potentially will go down as a true franchise legend. I think Laine has so much potential that he's yet to fully realize, but you can see that the cogs are turning. You can see that he's day by day improving his reactions, his his ability to read the ice, his defensive positioning, his playmaking and setup skills. Everything that he's put into practice and that he's improved upon just makes him a more complete, more dangerous threat. And I think that that game was just really a teaser for, for many seasons of what I hope is a, a long career with the Jets. Winnipeg fans don't often have much to get excited about when it comes to the Jets until the past couple of seasons, but Line A in that game, that was the start of something special, and I think if all pl- if you know all goes right and the plan works out, Winnipeg is going to get Line A a ring. It's going to be a tough road, and I, I think obviously the Jets are going to have to get lucky, but I really feel like... I feel like this talented group of kids and uh, some of the veteran players like Shifley at this point, I think that they have the ability to get there, and I really hope they do because I love this team and I really want to see them hoist the cup one day, preferably with Patrick in, you know, that, that classic navy and baby blue with a little bit of white striping. Now it is time for the most important game in recent Winnipeg Jets history, and that game is... I guess you could say, uh, I'm sure there's a subset that I will vote for the first game back in Winnipeg, which I think is fair. I kind of want to choose, though, Game 3, Nashville versus Winnipeg. I've talked about this game a lot for a variety of reasons, but here is my some takeaway. That was the first time that I truly felt like Winnipeg was on the warpath to winning a cup. That game, I think for me, epitomized so many reasons... ...why I fell in love with the Jets. It had skill. It had action. It had physicality. It had just about everything. I mean, so much drama, so much chaos, but it felt like a true battle of titans. Even if maybe the goaltending could have been better on both sides, I felt like there was so much intensity, so much animosity between the teams, and it was a thrilling game. I got to go there live thanks to uh, Winnipeg being very generous in their Twitter contest where, you know, you sent them a photo of your whiteout gear, and they gave away a pair of tickets. But um, I, I mentioned that I had come all the way from Baltimore to see them, and they were very kind and generous and gave me a couple of tickets to go. So I and a, a friend ended up going to the game, and it was truly one of the most extraordinary experiences that I've ever had. I mean, if you've never been to Winnipeg and gone to a Jets game, it's the kind of thing that you have to do before you die. It's a great experience. When it's a lot livelier than it's been in recent times, it's one of the most exciting things you can see. Game 3, though, was really, for me, a turning point in the series. Winnipeg, I think, was tied 1-1, and obviously that game uh, and that series ended up going the full distance, but Game 3 was such a-, a seesaw battle between two teams that were basically fighting tooth and nail for every inch of the ice. When I saw Winnipeg was down 3 nothing, I felt like, you know, at the end of the first intermission, well, you know, maybe they're going to pull Hellebuck, maybe this is it, maybe my hopes of a, a Jets-Stanley Cup, they're not going to come to pass. But, you know, Winnipeg scores with Stastny at the other end, and then Bufflin, you know, gets the second goal, Truba ties it like 30 seconds later, and then Bufflin takes the lead at the end of the second period. I thought, maybe I've misjudged this team, maybe there is something far more to them, maybe they're capable of of doing something that Winnipeg hasn't really done in previous seasons. And that was fight for every second that they were out there. And it's not that the Jets have ever really stopped putting in the effort, but I think the biggest thing is whether or not the effort that they put in is going to get results. Usually with the Jets, their best efforts have come up short, but this was a team that you felt, no matter what, no matter how dangerous or or, uh, dire things looked, no matter how deep in the games they got, there was always this chance that they could pull it back, and they were very good at doing that. That was such a strong team. They were dominant at even strength. They had a lightning power play. Their PK was not that great. I I would say that the goaltending was kind of solid. Not amazing, but solid. Certainly not as good as uh, Hellebuck has been this year, but he was alright back then. He was solid. Game 3, though, was all bets off. Just absolute craziness, and I remember just screaming the entire time. The building was practically shaking from seismic activity of fandom. Outside was crazy. When when the doors opened to let us all out of the stadium, we were all running and cheering. People were, like, running towards us and grabbing us. We were all hugging, jumping up, doing dances. There was a concert outside. It was just a crazy, crazy time and I felt like, you know, this is it. This is This is what it's like to know that you're going to win the cup one day. This is that feeling that victory is so close that you can taste it and I will never forget that feeling that was for me as a hockey fan truly I I think I would say it was the pinnacle I don't know that I've ever felt something like that as a sports fan even that was I don't know I can't even put it into words 100% because there's just a special once in a lifetime feeling for many fans some teams you know they 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 get spoiled by being you know like a pens fan you've got many recent years of perennial playoff success, multiple cup rings uh, obviously it's it's not as common as it's made out to be but for Penns fans, certainly a lot more common than most uh, NHL fans get to enjoy. So to have that for just a few months even, that feeling and that warmth of, of believing that your team was going to rise above everything and claim the cup for, for themselves, I mean, it didn't matter if I knew that the odds that the Jets were going to win was actually pretty low it didn't matter that Vegas ended up, you know, upsetting the barrel and and turning it in. To me, all that mattered was that I thought that the Jets could do it and that they were going to. And Game Three made me a believer. I felt so fervently that the Jets were going to go all the way. And if it would have been crazy if they'd actually played Washington in the Cup Finals, I have no idea how I would have felt about that. Obviously, my Winnipeg fandom always comes first. But you know, if the if the Caps had broken their own curse, which has been, you know so long and bitter for them, especially losing to the Penguins every single second round, you know. I, I would not have been horribly upset. But, uh, you know, obviously Washington ended up winning it anyways, and uh, Winnipeg didn't get a chance to go to the dance because that stupid Wild Card Vegas team ended up showing them up and pulling off kind of a miracle when you think about expansion teams. And I, I feel like, all of that said, and all of that disappointment aside, that game for me was... The pinnacle of being a Jets fan—it was the peak—and I don't know if we're ever going to get back there again. I, I do hope that the uh, the Jets get into Cup contention again soon, because this core that they have right now, I think, is truly special. I think that they have, you know, obviously not on the defensive side of things, but certainly in their forward ranks, the kind of talent that teams drool over, that they dream of. Ehlers is is a franchise winger. Line a is extraordinary. Shifley is an incredible top-line center when he's playing at his best. Morrissey, when he's playing well, is a very good defenseman. You know, Hellebuck has been a Vezina contender and favorite this season. Even though this team is missing a lot of things and will need help during the off season, you have to like the squad in general, in general, I would say, that Winnipeg has put together. Obviously, yeah, the defense needs some work, and, and there's a second-line center issue that Winnipeg is going to have to solve sooner rather than later, but I, I'm just... uh. I really think that at some point Winnipeg is going to do it, and they hope they they do it with, with Line A. I really hope that they do, because Game 3 gave me a taste for Stanley Cup silver, and I want that taste again, and I want that ring that comes with it. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of uh, a little bit of a nostalgia trip. I think that this is, for me, one of the most exciting things that I can talk about, especially during quarantine, because I will never forget those times and memories I spent in Winnipeg, and what that game meant to me and to so many Jets fans around the world. Thank you so much for listening. Before you log off, be sure to check out our Locked On NHL National podcast. Thank you so much for listening, and go Jets go!